Well, welcome back to Just Jesus Stories. We are in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And I, I, I'm so glad to see that even after the summer series that you have still learned how to sit separately from each other. Mark chapter 10. Starting at verse 17. We're going to meet somebody that we, um, we call the rich young ruler. And that's because the three times the story is told, once he's called rich, once he's called young, and once he's called a ruler. We just put them all together. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to stop right there. First of all, I'm, I'm impressed by the guy. How about you? Uh, he ran to Jesus. That's, you know, ding, ding, ding. He fell on his knees showing appropriate respect. That gets me. And then calls him good teacher, rabbi. So you are the one to, to instruct me. Yes. And then, what must I do to inherit eternal life? For about 10 years, I ran a blog online uh, called Tent Pegs, where it started off by saying, if you could only ask God one question, what would it be? And I thought I would get 20 or 30 of those, and we shut it down. Well, we, we got up into the couple hundred uh, numbers before the host of the blog went under and took all, the, all of that with it. So uh, it, I, I decided not to try to do that again. But anyway, I thought the most common question, and it was for a while, was why do evil things happen? But you know what the most common one was? If I could only ask one question, am I okay? And I get that, don't you? Am I okay? You know, one person sent in, do, do Wednesdays count? You know, I thought that was fun. That was, that was a fun one. Uh, some of you won't get that, but since we don't do much here, except with the youth. Um, I like this guy. Now, Jesus stops and says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, what's going on there is a little bit harder to figure out. It looks like Jesus is not responding well to this young man, but he actually is. He is, however, diffusing the arguments of the people around him because they would have said by this time, you cannot refer to any as good except for God. So he's saying, you can only refer to God in those terms. It does two things. One, it diffuses the situation, but it also begs the question, are you calling me God? There's a whole sermon in there. Now he switches. In most versions of the Bible that you've got, this is the same paragraph as verse 18. Fact is, verse 19 starts a whole new thought. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, by the way, did he name all of them? Is there any significance to that? The answer rhymes with no. Let me explain. When he says, you know the commandments, that refers to them as a group. He throws out some examples. This is called a synecdoche. We do that all the time. I just did. Whenever we say we do it all the time, that's hyperbole. Whenever, I, whenever we use uh, some to represent a whole, that's a synecdoche. So he just says, you know, you know what they are. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Okay, I'm out. 
Anybody here keep these perfectly since you were a boy? Women, since you were a girl, you're not off the hook. I, I have not. I like this guy. But Jesus knows he has a fatal flaw. And it's not exactly covered by the commandments. This is what Paul would say. He would say, no matter how much you follow the law, the law will not make you righteous. Why? Because you can't legislate against every ill thought of the heart. You can't. You cannot. Don't we try? Somebody walks into a place and shoots it up. And, you know, one side calls for everybody to have guns. The other says for nobody to have guns. Because if you make it illegal, the criminals will stop. Because that's worked with everything else. What do we do? We make more laws. Make more laws. Make more laws. You watch an old movie and they hop in the car and don't have seatbelts on. And you're going, what? Well, we got used to that. It's a law. All the laws. Make the laws. And yet people still die on the roads, don't they? Yeah. They still do. What are, the point I'm trying to make is not that you can't make laws. You can make laws. Some of the laws I heartily approve of. But you cannot legislate so much that it makes you righteous. And so he goes right for the man's heart. Because with Jesus, the heart is what matters. He says, one, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Did Jesus consider this man sincere? Really? You're not going to talk at all? What kind of classes were you in, you poor people? Did they shock you? What was, did they hit you or something? Uh, yes, Jesus loved this, this man. He did not look upon this man as a hypocrite. He didn't look upon this man as trying to find a way out. No. He says, one thing you lack. He goes right to the heart of it. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Is it wrong to have wealth? No. Better not be, because everybody in here is, in the world terms, filthy rich. So it better not be. So what's the point here? The point is, in this man's heart, wealth had ascended to a too high place. Wealth meant more than God. Let me, let me hit you real here with, get it down where we live. You know, somebody was asking me today, well, you know, where am I standing with my health issues in and out of the hospital? Don't know, really. We're, we're at that, you know, we've had many tests and something is wrong, can't find it, have a good day, that sort of thing. Uh, and so in a couple more weeks, I've got more tests to do. And I, but here's the thing. I know you're praying, I know I'm praying. What if we all pray and Patrick doesn't get better? By the way, this is, I'm not going to die. Well, I will, but probably not at this. You know, I, I, but the point, I'm not trying to be dramatic here. What I'm saying is, what if you pray for your health and you don't get it? What does that do to your faith? I would submit that it can trouble your faith, but make sure that your health is not higher than your God. To where if I don't get my health, my way in this, I don't, I'm not hanging on to you. Now, we could multiply examples of this and get really uncomfortable. Could be not. You know, and my, uh, if my marriage does, is not happy because I prayed and I invested in this, then, then I don't believe in God anymore. How many times I've heard people say, I don't believe in God. And sometimes they'll use science as a cover. 
Sometimes the science is, is not so much a cover as they were told you either believe in a literal six-day or nothing, and they chose the nothing. I get that. That's a false choice people make people make. I guess people make people make. Hmm. Anyway, that's it. Don't diagram that sentence. You'll pull a muscle. The, um, they'll say, I don't believe in God. And in my experience, every single time, it's because God is not running the universe the way they would if they were God. It's not the science. It's something else. And I get that. I really get that. This guy, whatever it is in your life, and we all have it. We all have things that until it happens, we weren't really aware we had placed that higher than God. And then all of a sudden, our faith hits a rock. And we're going, why? What happened? Well, with this, this young man probably was very generous with his money. Probably, he, d he didn't steal. He'd kept the commandments, and Jesus loved him. He, he was probably very generous uh, and sharing stuff, but he kept enough to where that was his security. Do you remember David's sin of numbering the people? It was because he counted on the numbers as his security. God said, no, no, you don't do that. You do not have to go sell all that you own and give it to the poor, but you have to remember the poor and you have to be willing to lose all you have for Jesus. Now, I pray none of us ever have to make that decision. When I was a boy, do you remember, some of you here in my generation, um, do you remember we had a great enemy called the Soviet Union? And that showed up in almost every worship service. People would pray, thank you, Lord, that we are free to worship here, not like them over there. You know, and, uh, or, you know, and here was the big one. It hit us all the time as kids. If the, if the Russians take over and they make it illegal to be a Christian, will you still be one? You know, we're seven and eight years old going, huh, I hope so. You know, the, you know that it is, we'd already learned how to survive a direct nuclear hit by getting under our desk because we'd had that. Evidently, melanin re reflects. I don't know. The science is beyond me, but it, it was evidently solid or they just wanted to, everybody under the desk because that, that makes it easier to find the bodies. Um, we'd gone through the drills. Anybody else go through drills? You did? All right, good. I'm not alone on this. Uh, I guess it worked. We're still here. The point is, we had an enemy that was always going to come at us, going to come at us. And we, we prayed, but we also wanted to make sure we had ability to blow them off the face of the earth if they tried. That was called mutually assured destruction. Do you remember that? Mad. Now, I'm not going to argue the politics of it. What I'm going to say is, did we count on God or on the missiles? What did we count on here? What would have happened had they had taken us over? How many people would have lost their faith? I think a lot. I might have been one. I'm just really glad that never happened. I pray none of this ever has to happen to us. But are you willing to take a loss of your goods for the name of Jesus? He found the fatal flaw with him. With some others, it's, it's not that. It's a relationship. Would you end this relationship, because this is a sinful relationship, as Paul would put it, you're unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You need to break this relationship for God, and people say no. 
How many young people have run off in rebellion marrying somebody who doesn't follow God and follow them? Because what did they do? Right? So all I'm saying here is instead of looking at his sin, be aware, I think it's true to say all of us probably have one of these that Jesus could look at and say, you're going to give that up? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, as a, you know, walking up to God and saying, hey, you got anything on me? Probably not wise. Uh, but JC, your, your point is extremely valid. He was doing a, for lack of a better term, works salvation. What do I have to do to get it? I hope and pray we get to the point we understand it's not about do, it's about be. but it's hard. If you follow me on Facebook and go back and look today, you'll see I posted about this in vague, vague-ish terms. But a friend of mine, a scholar whose name, if I mentioned it, most of you would know, just mentioned that someone was going to be preaching at a certain church this afternoon. Well, that someone happens to be female, and therefore, the hate started coming. How dare you? I guess you don't believe this passage. It just flooded. Well, this man always handles things with grace and wisdom, although he doesn't delete like I do. I'm going, delete, come on, delete, 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 because I have no problem deleting and blocking. I've had people say, who will Jesus block? I said, have you read Revelation? Evidently several. Um, and don't, don't mess with him. Uh, I hate it when people try to pull the Jesus card and they don't know what they're play- the game they're playing. Uh, point being this, constantly it is Jesus and, Jesus and. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you also have to do all this right. Is your salvation a person or a process? A program. You've got to, it's got to be Jesus if it's Jesus and. And you're absolutely right, JC. He had gone up to him and said, I've, I've been building my, step, my stairway to heaven. What else do I need? So the man's face fell. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I would submit to you that that is still true and that we are the rich. Think of how much riches distract us. You know, we, we have a house. You have, many of you have houses. Some of you rent. If you have a house, what happens as soon as you get a house? You have to fix the house. You have to fix that then. Then you have to do that then. Then you have to do it's not it's never static, is it? It's the same with any of our stuff. You have an iPad. Yay. What 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 edition? I have Verizon continually hitting me with emails to tell me to be discontent. You know you've been due for an upgrade. You know you're due for an upgrade. You know you and I'm going, yes, I was here the last ten times you sent this to me. It's you know, this one's faster. Really? Because was, I was having a hard time with that, going, you know, oh, it took him two seconds to answer. That was awful. 
you know, you know I, I don't know, do I look like I have two seconds to stand around? You know, I, people, after a while, the world wants you to be discontent. But it distracts us to the point where we don't have time to do what Jesus wants us to do. Cammie and I, she all know who I'm talking about, were appalled when we moved into Glasgow, Scotland, or just south of Glasgow, uh, but we're working in Glasgow, and found that the buses at that time didn't run real much, very much, on Sunday, because they had blue laws against a lot of that, and some of the people wanted to come to church, but they, most people don't own vehicles in Britain, and so they, they couldn't get there, and so I said, oh, I'll come up and get you, and the minister at the, that we were trying to work with at the time was uh, very upset with us, saying, you're just going to run, wear your car out bringing these people in. He said, I did it too, but I wore out a car and I'm just not doing it anymore. Really? Why do you have a car? You know, what's, what's the car for? And I'll never forget, as a boy, uh, the church was invited, as a, the young people to, invited to go to a, a, a lady's house. When we got there, we couldn't go in the front door. We had to go down around and only stay in the basement because she didn't want us to mess up the carpet. You know, people, if it gets stained elaborately, it's just a large twister game. Just look at it that way. Enjoy it. But yet, we're rich, and it's hard on us. It really is hard on us. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's stop now and play Mythbusters. I loved that show. I'm going to miss it. I myth it. All my life growing up, I was told, now there was, now I have a needle referred to this low gate. You've heard this story? There was a low gate into the city where camels, to get in, they'd have to get them down on their knees and pull them through, and it was a real struggle. No. There exists nowhere on the planet anything like this. Not in archaeology, not in ancient records, nowhere. It's made up. It's amazing what we know that's been made up. They weren't stupid. They didn't say, now we need to get the camels in, but let's not make it easy. No, they just went in. The eye of a needle here is referring to a surgical instrument. How hard was it to get a camel through? I would submit you can get a camel through an eye of a needle, but you're going to have to kill it, you're going to have to grind it up, and you're going to have to spend your entire life concentrating. I think that might be what Jesus is trying to say. You're going to have to put some things to death, you're going to have to change the order of other things and spend your whole life concentrating. You can do it. It, it amazes me, it breaks my heart, but it amazes me. It'll be in Central America or South America or in Asia where an entire mountain breaks away after mud and mudslides through a village. They got nothing. And yet they're out there with a pail in the bucket and hands, and eventually they clear it. God says it's going to take that kind of effort if you want to come in. Aren't you glad that we don't have to earn our way in? We will be saved, even though we didn't get done with the camel. The point being, if you are trying to earn it, that's how hard it's going to be. The disciples are even more amazed. They said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus makes it the point. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. 
all things are possible with God. In other words, you trying to save yourself, it doesn't work. It's as stupid as getting a camel through a needle. It's not going to work. Let God save you. Peter still doesn't get it, and I love Peter because he still doesn't get it, because I still don't get it sometimes. Peter spoke up. He says, we've left everything to follow you. A lie. They had, but temporarily. Every one of them kept their house, and they went back to it later. They still had their fishing boats. Do you remember that? Jesus is put in the tomb, and it's like, well, okay. And the next thing you know, they're out on boats. Whose boats? Their boats. They just farmed those out to family. The business continued. I feel like Peter, and there are times that I've caught myself saying to God something similar. Look what I've given up for you. Then God, well, that's a pretty nice house, isn't it? Never mind. Truly I say to you, Jesus said, and Jesus doesn't get mean with him. He just says, no, I, we're, God notices. No one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age right now. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. All right, let's, 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 let's back that out of this a little bit. First, you're going to receive a hundred times as many homes. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. Look around you. These are your homes. This is your family. It amazes me where... Um, where I keep bumping up against family. First time it really hit me, I was 17 years old and on my own in Paris. Um, I know you're thinking, oh, he was so rich. No, no, no. I, I, in a cupboard, basically, was where I was. It took me a long time to find the Church of Christ because I knew that was the only place I was allowed to worship, the only place God would find me. So I had to find it. But the French maps, and I know how silly this sounds, are in French. I don't know what they were thinking either. What were they thinking? But anyway, they were. And I thought I could speak French till I got to France. And then I found out I can't speak French. <laughs> Learned that in 30 seconds. You know, I get off the plane and they're... And I'm going, uh, my aunt has a red pencil box. I, I just, I, I had, you know, the swimming pool is very deep. You know, that sort of thing I could say. So eventually I found the Church of Christ, went in and... Um, and they're all going, oh, you know, bonjour, bonjour. And, and I'm going, ah, just, just. and I'm sitting, and I open up the songbook, it's in French. You know, uh, and then, because you know, we didn't learn uh, Bible words in French class. Like hell, what's, you, anybody learn that word for hell? And you're, no, we didn't. So I'm learning, I'm, I'm looking at all this. And they're all gathering around. Finally, through miming and, and you know, creative, you know, Franglish, we were able to determine, they were able to determine I was a member of the Church of Christ and I was traveling through. And they, they talked, huddled for a while, came over and asked if I could lead at the Lord's table. I don't know the word for communion either. Uh, so I told them, I, I don't know how to do this in French. And they, they had knew more English than I knew French. They, they said basically, but you are our brother. We don't need to understand your words. We trust you. 17 years old, completely out of place. I have a home. I have brothers and sisters. No matter where you go, you look at, in fact, I was in hospital recently, and a, a young nursette came in. She was in training, so that's why I'm calling her nursette. Um, came in, very friendly, 
I'm trying to be very pleasant back as much as I can be. It's not natural. It takes effort. And after a while, she goes, you know, you know I, I never knew I'd be working on my, my preacher. I'm going, oh, I didn't recognize her. Um, but she was out of uniform because she was in uniform. And I, and she, I was just thinking, you, you never know. You never know. Homes and friends and look at all you have. Um, we did get it. But what you also will get is persecution. Comes with the package. I'm told by people that have great riches that having great riches can keep you up at night. Every so often they'll say on the radio, the stock market is up 20 today. And I'm going, that's fascinating. Doesn't affect me. Oh, well, what is, you know. I'm not going, yay! You know, I, I, it, it just, okay, whatever. They, or as, a, as, as my father once put it to me, what's the difference between a man with three kids and a man with $3 billion? The man with three kids doesn't want another one. I was number three, and I was going, oh, uh, did I kill the moot? You know, uh, I wasn't sure what happened. Anyway, uh, persecutions come with everything. In the age to come, eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Boy, have I heard that one used in all kinds of creative ways. We lose our position when we enter the kingdom of God. We gain a new one. But as James and uh, Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians really points out, stop with the social divisions. You may have been first before, but no, not now. I, the, where I saw this illustrated best was in a military congregation in Norfolk, Virginia. If you're not aware of it, Norfolk, Virginia is U.S. Navy Central. Uh, they're just, they're everywhere. They're Hampton Roads, Newport News, the Military College, Hampton Roads, um, and then Norfolk's naval base. And in the Granby Street Church there, we had guys with all kinds of brass on them. And we had brand new sailors that knew, you know, didn't even get a stripe yet. Outside, it was commander, it was captain, it was lieutenant commander, or mister if it's a lower rank. Inside, it was brother. And I watched that. For nearly two years, we were in that area. And it just fascinated me. They kept to that. We are brothers when we speak of religious things. To the point where, I'm not really sure I should go into great detail on this. Cammie and I both heard the story uh, from those that were there. Um, one of the, on a big deployment, some of the sailors were teaching another sailor about Jesus. And that sailor wanted to be baptized. So they went to the chaplain to get permission to baptize, and a chaplain turned him down saying, you don't need to be baptized, just believe. Well, they tried to push with the chaplain, and the chaplain just wouldn't let him do it, so they called for an audience with the captain, which you're allowed to do in the Navy. You call it the captain's mast, and uh, you generally don't see the captain. You'll see somebody under him. Well, they walked, because you're in trouble now, because if that gets blown, there are some real repercussions coming down back at you. They walked in, and across from the table from them, was a deacon at their church, lieutenant commander, exec officer for the ship. They talked for a little while. He got on the horn and said, we're going to stop the ship and lower these guys over and let them baptize in the sea. They had brothers they 
They had homes. They had because of this. Does that make sense then? So we give up some stuff, but we gain a lot. Anything else you want to say here before we switch subjects and gears? Yes, sir. That would have been amazing. I don't know, to, if I'm going to be honest, I don't know that I would have taken him up on it. That's absolutely, it is the essence of gospel. Just to give it up and follow him. What a, what a, glorif- glory, a glorious thing that would be. But isn't it also glorious to serve him now? And yet, so hard. One, uh, a phrase, and I'm sure he didn't make it up, a phrase that a young intern we had back um, 25 years ago would put in his prayers that I've put in mine. He would say, Lord, get us out of the way. Get us out of your way. Because we know you want to do stuff, but we keep getting in your way. And I was going, wow, that's a thought. I've been, Really, it's a deep thought. They're on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. This is the third time he's told them. We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, Mark does not go on with what happens next because some of what happens next doesn't paint Peter in a good light and Peter is the one narrating this to Mark. So there's some creative edits. Uh, John does that as well, by the way. In the other passages, you'll see where John said something stupid like, oh, what's coming up here next? And in the book of John, it is, and some of the disciples said, He edits out, because we're human, right? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. By by the way, stop. What if you'd given up everything to follow Jesus, and then he looked at you and said, by the way, I'm about to be arrested, beaten up, and killed. It would seem you just invested in the wrong place, wouldn't it? Going, whoa, 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 whoa. But this was not in the brochure uh, that told us how we could invest. James and John, son of Zebedee, need to handle what's going to happen next after he's gone. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Really? I would have loved to have been there and heard the inference and the the intonation, rather, in their words, because this just seems, really? What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. (laughs) Jesus goes, you don't even know what you're asking. Can you 
drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Now, that's a fr these phrases. The cup was a way of saying the ordeal, the pain. The cup. Remember in the garden he says, take this cup from me? That's, so they, he's saying, can you go through what I'm about to go through? He had just told them what? Flogging, spitting, mocking. And they said, yes, we can. So they were confident in their own desire to follow Jesus, even to death. Jesus says, well, you know, you will. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptize, baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. And we have no idea what he means because we're not allowed to know. There are some things, remember, I, I love these passages. They used to infuriate me. Now, they, now I love them. Where Paul would say, and I went up to heaven and I saw things, but I'm not allowed to tell you. Another time where Daniel sees things and the angel goes, nope, can't tell him. Another time John the Revelator sees things and starts to write and the angel puts his hand on his and says, don't write that. No, these things going to be a surprise. We even know the names of some things that we don't know what they are. In the Bible, it talks about the living creatures, the 24 elders, the, uh, the sons of God and the friends of God, the Ketushim and the Bana Elohim. We don't know what those are. There are a lot of things in the universe. We're going to meet them one day, and it will be good. But he goes, no, this, there's something already set for that. When a ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Wouldn't you? Whoa, 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 whoa. Who died and made you second in command? Jesus called them together and said, now this is very important. This is my political statement for the day. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Other Gospels will put it a different way, more bluntly. They who lord it over them call themselves their benefactors. He says, that's not the way it's going to happen with us. Isn't that the way politics works? Vote for me, and I will give you these things. I will make your life easier in these things. I will be your benefactor. But do they not lord it over us? Many of the rules don't apply to them. And they have all kinds of perks and money and pensions. Jesus said, that's not the way the church works. The church works in a different way. We don't worry about who's in charge. Think of the church fights that would end if we weren't worried about who's in charge. Wasn't it Ronald Reagan that said how much good we could do if we weren't concerned about who got the credit? Was he who said that? Okay, some are nodding. Um, this is another corollary of that. If we weren't trying to run it, weren't trying to be in charge. I think of a time I'd just come to America, late 80s, and found that the Churches of Christ in the region their ministers met once a month for a lunch and for a little meeting just to you know, encourage each other and the like. And I thought, well, that would be great. I was not yet fully familiar with the Churches of Christ in America. 
So I, I went, and here we are at some restaurant, and, and they're, all, they're saying, you know, we need to work more on unity among us, and we need to, we need to study unity in, in the Bible. And I'm thinking, well, that'd be good. I'm not kidding. It sounds like a joke. We never did, because that meeting dissolved into heated arguments over which version of the Bible we should use for our study. So it never happened. And I kept thinking, I don't really care. But I was the only one who didn't care. The others fought hard for their version. It's, it's heartbreaking. Jesus shows now who he really is. And this is one of my favorite stories. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. Now think of this. Together with a large crowd, what's going on? They are following Jesus. He is teaching. This is church. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. Does anybody want to wonder why do we needed to know he was son of Timaeus? I do. I have no idea why that was important. But what really amazes me is we have his name. I want you to think of this. A blind man was not allowed to go into the temple. A blind man was not allowed to serve God. A blind man was not allowed to do much of things. He was deformed. He was not proper. He had to stay to the side. He was a beggar as well. He wasn't a blind man with property and servants. He had zero standing in the Jews' universe. And yet, you know his name. How many people in the Bible do we not, never named? Important people, officials, centurions, never named. God gave you this man's name. I think that reveals something about the character of God, which is brilliant. But the story's not over. He was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. This is church. Leave the important guy alone. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I want to stop right now. What can you tell me about the character of Bartimaeus? All right. Nothing. We, we know nothing about the character of Bartimaeus. You can say, well, he was persistent and loud. All right, fair enough. But the character, <coughs> had he kept all the commandments from youth? We don't, don't know. Had he given all he had to the poor? Well, he was poor, so that probably doesn't apply. All he had was the name to call on. There's a contrast about to happen. Jesus stopped. Think of it, people. A poor beggar, zero standing in the universe, calls out to God, and God stops. You ever thought of the weight of that? I can remember the first time that I saw my daughter, two years old, saying a prayer and thinking, the guy that made the universe has stopped everything to listen to this kid. Wow. Stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Yay, it's your day. Cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Would you look at the next phrase? The God of the universe, El Shaddai, Jehovah Sabaoth, El Elyon, looks at a beggar and says, what do you want me to do for you? 
You see why it's one of my favorite stories? That still, I chills just hit again. I'm 60 years old. I've read this story thousands of times, literally because the Gospels are where I live. And yet it, get, it still hits me with chills. God stops and goes, what do you want? What would you like for me to do? And I love the way he put it. Rabbi, it says here, I want to see. Did anybody remember your older versions? And by the way, this is not a bad version. It's the NIV, uh, the newer one out of 2011. But the old versions of Scripture didn't even put it that bluntly. They said, Rabbi, if I could see. Do you remember that? It was, it's like, that's, that's just, that's too big a question. We were at one church once where the elders were interviewing us, wondering if they could get us to come there. And one of the elders looked at us and said, Patrick, what do you need to thrive? We went quiet. My wife and I looked at each other. I looked back and I said, we've never been asked that question. We don't know what to say. With here, I don't think he knew what to say. God's saying, what do you want me to do for you? He's saying, well, if I could see, go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Let's now play connect the dots and see if we can get the picture. Here we have a guy saying, a good man, a good man saying, I have followed these commandments. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to be with God forever. And Jesus hitting at the point of his heart saying, no, there's something in there that needs to be dethroned. The man goes away dejected. His apostles then say, how can anybody be saved if this is the way it goes? And Jesus said, but that's not the way it goes. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then we walk through here saying, you know, it, it's going to look bad, people. It's going to look really bad here in a bit. Are you ready for this? And here comes Bartimaeus. We don't know anything about his commandment-keeping scorecard. We don't know anything about his... Whether, I mean, people, you can say, but he's a blind beggar. All right, people, uh, you watch American television. In American television, the handicapped, put-upon person is um, holy. But if you work with people that are handicapped, broken, thrown away, whatever, crime victims, whatever, you find a lot of them are the same percentage are jerks as in the non-victim, non-handicapped quote. You'll, you'll find some of them are horrible to work with. He may have been a jerk. We had homeless people that stole from other homeless people. I kept thinking, wrong target base. You know, you, you need to upgrade your targets if you're ever going to get anywhere on this. But they would, they would steal and cheat and lie on each other. They had nothing. He may have been one of those people, but he called to the right person put his faith in the right person. By the way, I'm not saying he was one of those people. We're just saying we know nothing about his character and that's important to the story. His faith has healed him. Not his actions, not his procedures, not his liturgy, but who he is with. That saved him. Anybody want to say anything? I'm not going to start another story because we've got two minutes before it's over. Yes, sir. 
Well, you have a minute and a half. I think that you are absolutely right in that. Whenever it comes to, the Bible says, by their fruit ye shall know them. And a lot of people try to make that as doctrinal things. I've had people say, yes, you know, they say they love God, but by their fruits ye shall know them. And look, they're going to the wrong church. Really? The fruits in Galatians 5 are a good measurement, but they should be, in, in Scripture, since we're not judges, we should use them to measure us, not others. Right. Right. So, by the way, I, I refer to those as bowling pins when God gives us a list like that. You have faith, hope, love, joy. Uh, how did I do on this today? And I almost never get a strike, by the way. But I'm okay with that because it shows me I got to work on that. I got to fix this one. I need to go back and apologize for this. You see what I mean? Not for guilt, not, not so I can beat myself up, but so that I can be better. I want to be better. Don't you want to be better? Yeah. So, by their fruit you shall know them. What kind of fruit are you putting out there? Yes, sir. And now we're in overtime, so you will have to pay everybody in the room. <laughs> but uh, the the uh, the kids will be loosed upon us shortly. That's an, that's an excellent question. How do you distinguish hyperbole from commandments? It is a community. It's the work of a community, not of an individual, to make that call. For example, when Jesus, if you remember, a couple weeks before we took our break, said if, you're, if your hand offends you, cut it off. The community that he was with understood that as hyperbole. Nobody in the community in the first hundred years of the church cut off their hands or gouged out their eyes. There were some nutcases that did it later, uh, but the community didn't. So the community, this is why uh, Peter even says, no scriptures of private interpretation. Bring it to the community. Let the community tell you what this means. And so, and again, we also have to look at who, was it, who said it, to whom, why, when, and where. All of that has to be done. This giving away all that you had, did he ever say that to anybody else? No. That was targeted. Why was it targeted? The scripture says, because this man was wealthy. That's where he'd put. Uh, and we, but anyway, that's the, the short answer is, look to what the community said. The community that was there, how did they read it? All right? If you have more questions, bring them next, uh, not next week. Next week, you're going to have a guest speaker Chris Barnhill will be preaching and teaching this class. Uh, I will be away in New Jersey, so just when you thought things couldn't get worse, somebody's got to go. So I'll, I'll be up there for a week, and then I'll be back down here uh, to be with you. God bless you. See you later. Go away.